You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now your hosts, Daniel Sanangelo and Trey Harris. Space. A final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Or podcast has gone before as we go on the search for Spock. That's right, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. For Asia Visited, I'm Trey Harris. And Daniel Sanangelo. And we don't have to search far for our Vulcan producer, Jesse Sedgley. Kapla! <laughs> I'm sorry, did I say Vulcan? I mean Klingon. Klingon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to speak in Klingon yeah. for the podcast. <laughs> and hopefully we can understand you. But uh, yeah, of course, last week we talked about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And if you're screaming already at this podcast... I want you to know that we are aware that that intro was not the movie intro. That was the television show intro. So don't think that we're trying to fool you guys into picking out some sort of you know inadequacy or inaccuracy that we have with the Trek universe. We're just trying so, to educate you. Exactly. Most of y'all were like, if you pick that up, that just means you're a Trek fan, man. You're a Trekkie. Put yep. on your big boy pants, which probably have you know a Starfleet insignia on the crotch, and you know, yeah. grow and up. The ladies love it. <laughs> I'm sure nothing smells like woman's heart than right before sex when they see you wearing Star Trek underwear. Ready right, to beam or, up, man? Or if you have something right, but uh, that's too, getting too dirty. Never mind. <laughs> this is a family fucking podcast, man. Watch your mouth. Yeah. Or you won't get certain directors on here. <laughs> you could have a, a virgin woman who has a tattoo. Do you want to go boldly oh, toward go on his girl? Yeah, you know. Many have gone before, I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah, for like the attractive (laughs) Trekkies. There's that that poor girl out there that's, you know, for lack of a better word, Jabba the Hutt. Right, butterflies. I love Star Trek, but. (laughs) And that's the first thing she's going to say on her wedding night. Uh, Are you ready to boldly go? And that poor soul will be like, boldly. (laughs) Yes, I am. Whatever. We're just. (laughs) Watch the movie Trekkies. And you'll you'll understand exactly what we're talking about. But there's every every great series has its geeks. The geekier that your followers are and disturbing that they are is just a testament to how great your product is in a weird, fucked up way. Mm. I have weird geekiness things. We all do. Confess. Oh Family Matters. Little House on the Prairie. Well It's not geeky, really. Well, I mean you mean just... I know a lot about them. Mm. Geeky I, I get what you're saying with that, but I don't know what is a geek thing. Sci-fi, Star Wars, <laughs> Star Trek. No, yeah. no, a Lord geek thing for me. Like, what, what do I? You are Fantasy geekishly into sci-fi. sports. Geekishly into sports. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, that's, that's I mean, geek. You know, the whole new catchphrase, geek chic, which is flipping uh, retarded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, everybody has their thing that they geek out about, regardless. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be something that's sociably acceptable, like football, or you know, something that's you know, getting more social acceptance, like Star Trek. Unlike Star Wars, which walks in both worlds, but not Trek. Nah, just kidding, Trekkies. We love you guys, and the one girl, that's a Trekkie. But uh, 
June 1st, 1984, a day long remembered by Trek fans as the day the search for Spock began and quickly ended. IMDb 6.5, Rotten Tomatoes 78 freaking percent fresh. We'll Ooh, talk about my. that more in a little bit. <laughs> the budget of 18 million, opening 16.6, domestic gross 76.4, worldwide 87. Great success, or great, 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 blah, for right. Roddenberry and Co. Directed. By none other than Leonard Nimoy, Spock himself. While they were, that's why they couldn't find him. I'm right here, guys, behind the camera. Oh my God, Spock, we didn't see you. That's just a little <laughs> bad humor there. But uh, he also directed an, an '80s classic, Three Men and a Baby, and also one of the greatest rides that no longer exists at Disney World. Excuse me, Epcot, Body Wars, in which you zoom through the human body in a great 3D adventure to rescue a scientist played by none other than Elizabeth Shue. Where do you come out? Not like a nasty <laughs> place. I don't remember. The only thing I remember about it, it was, yeah, a, it, was ju- it was just like Star Tours where you're in like the same kind of simulator. What, like you come out the toe, I guess? Maybe like the mouth. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember how you got out. It's probably on YouTube where you can watch the entire where simulator. Where you go in then? But, uh, <laughs> I think you were injected because like it kind of like zooms back like you're going uh, into the needle. But the only thing I remember is like Elizabeth shoes on the splinter that some dude gets in his heart or something. Kind of like, saw Fantastic Voyage. Like... Oh, and here's this giant splinter, and all of a sudden the heart beats, and it sucks Elizabeth's shoe into the heart. So then you're in the uh, simulator, like, whoosh, you know, going back and forth as the heart beats, and you go into the heart, and you go all through the body. And again, I don't remember you come out. It's yeah. Disney World, so it wasn't anything like, oh, he shot out through the urethra. You know what I say to that? Nidak <laughs> obluk. Which means... And then he changed it right at the end there. <laughs> right, I know. I didn't realize you were going to read the Klingon I had up. Uh, Open the door? <laughs> no, it's What were you these. saying, Daniel? Wait, this can't be right because they're saying Nequat means hello, but we learned from the German Klingon last episode that that doesn't mean hello. Because they don't say hello. Yeah, they don't say hello. That's right. So that automatically, because we're now all Trekkies, and we know that this is incorrect. Magica. Wait. Well, Daniel, we can't accept this as true Klingon because he's already wrong. Yeah. They don't say hello. They don't say goodbye. They just come up and they state their business. They're very, they're G- very direct. Gilabli. You got more, more hard <laughs> syllables. More Hebrew. Huh? <laughs> yeah. A little more Jewish. <laughs> a little bit. A little imagine a Jewish. A little bit more phlegm in it. Yeah. Yeah. Mach. Yeah. Yeah. Machai. Yeah. If you know what we're saying, then you, my friend, are probably <laughs> a Klingon. Yeah. Or Hebrew. Or, yeah. yeah. A Jewish space faring. Alien. But uh, written by Harvey Bennett, who also worked, worked on the story and the screenplay for Star Trek 2 through 5. And of course, we, we know who plays in it. Uh, all the same people, which we mentioned last episode. I won't waste your time doing that because you already know because that's why you're listening Ricardo's to this. Ricardo's in it? Oh, oh, except, of course, Ricardo <laughs> Matalban because you know, that was when he was his pieces was floating around in the whatever nebula around Seti Alpha 5. Blah blah blah. It's yeah, there are people that know that can ex- that tell you with exact detail exactly where the remnants of Khan's being are left, the exact quadrant, the exact star date that it happened. Not talking bad. I'm just saying that's. And to some people, that's amazing. To me, it's amazingly sad. Just kidding, everybody. We're all geeks here. Mm. But uh, new additions to the cast. Let me ask you this, Daniel. Before we, because of course we find out what you think. You've never seen this movie before. How surprised were you when Christopher Lloyd showed up? As a Klingon commander. What? Uh, very surprised, but 
now seeing him in his, his famous role of Doc Brown. Yeah. He's not funny in the slightest. So you're like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, come the, on, just put a joke out there. Yeah. Did you buy him as as villain? You know, being a villain. It wasn't bad. I mean, I guess if you compare it to the movie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you would say Judge Doom was much more villainous. Oh yeah, Beretta did that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Judge Doom he was fantastic as. But. but you didn't. Were you were you taken aback or like did it kind of take you out of the movie because because you've seen him since then and such so many other things as to where at first you, you like you kind of wondering is he is he going to provide any comedy no uh, but I don't know I thought it was he, he hilarious when he killed those people well he doesn't he doesn't take away anything from the yeah. movie it's kind of the movie itself yeah mm-hmm. which we'll get into in just a second but also did you notice John Larroquette. I did not notice that. I didn't know that was him until I looked and I was looking all through the mm-hmm. cast. And I was like, wait a second. No way. He was Maltz. He, he, he was, was another... the one that lives. He says, oh, you okay. said you were going to kill me. And her, wow. And it's <laughs> the I opposite lied. of Arnold in Commando, you know, where he did said he wouldn't kill him. He's like, I lied. Wow, I did not know that. John Larroquette. Pretty unrecognizable in that Klingon makeup. Most <laughs> people you can, like Christopher Lloyd, you can instantly yeah. tell it's yeah. Christopher Lloyd, but that looks like anybody off the street. Total, total shocker. Didn't know. And then uh, in a bit part, Miguel Ferrer. Yeah, looks that... like they have their baseball card. Oh, signed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in a very bit part, as first officer on the uh, fuck what was it Excelsior, Miguel Ferrer, of course, recently on the podcast as Bob Morton in RoboCop, and also recently in Iron Man Three. Yeah, so I mean, of course, you got you got you have the original crew all back together again. Again, even though, like I mentioned last episode, how uh, Leonard Nimoy kind of wanted out of being Spock and everything, but uh, got roped into doing it again, pretty much. But also directing, as we said. Uh, but again, this is the first time you've ever seen this movie. You just watched it today, as a matter of fact. Fresh on, fresh after Wrath of Khan, so it's still fresh in your mind, both of them, how they tie together and everything. So, Daniel, what did you think of the Enterprise's search for Spock? I thought it was kind of boring. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, the Trekkies, but I, well, most just, of them will probably agree because, like we mentioned last episode, the odd ones tend to be the black sheep of the family. It was one of those like popcorn flicks where you enjoy the popcorn more. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was nicely put. You you put it down and you're like, damn, that's some good ass popcorn. And you're paying more attention <laughs> to the popcorn than what's happening on screen. Yeah, I like that. Um, and there are many of those where I've actually went like Van Helsing. Mm-hmm. Well, there was stuff on screen in that movie that was pretty good, if well, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, but when that was It started there. with a K and rhymed with eight Beckinsale. <laughs> but uh, just didn't get into it as much yeah. as Wrath. It, the storyline, to me, wasn't there. I didn't feel too much for Krug or Krug or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's like a hard K in there somewhere. <laughs> you you kind of wondered, were they starting to get tired of it? Yeah, the original cast. Like for the, yeah. I'm wait. sorry if you're getting a the check the size they were probably getting. Yeah. How many? Yeah, I could come back tomorrow. You know, that has mm. to be like I could come back as many times as you want. <laughs> but of course, kind of like we briefly talked about in the first one, for 90 percent of these people, this is all that they'll ever yeah. be remembered for, except pretty much Shatner Nemoy, Nemoy, Namor, Prince Namor, <laughs> who played who was actually Leonard Nimoy, uh, but Shatner Nimoy and uh, Takei pretty much, aside mm. from you know Chris, you know the other the non Trek cast, so to speak, uh, and Takei, honestly, only until recently, with you know, I mean, he's an internet sensation, yeah. you know. So, 
But I definitely see where you're coming from. Any other thoughts or observations? I did like the way the Klingons look. Yeah. I like their look. They have a, dist- a total distinct look. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's Klingon. You know, yeah. That quickly. You know. They have the second baddest-ass spaceship in sci-fi to me, <laughs> in the Bird of Prey. What's the best? <laughs> Another bird-related ship. Starts with an M. Millennium uh, Sparrow. Hop. Millennium <laughs> Sparrow. Yeah, but uh, uh, growing up when I was watching this movie, uh, that the one thing I always loved about it and why I, I, I instantly loved the Bird of Prey, you know, it can cloak. It's kind of a fast fighter attack ship. Uh, you know, has to it has a you know its weaknesses has to decloak to fire. It, it looks badass. It's, they kind of cop the X wing with the wings hinging, so to speak, in a sense from different flight modes and whatnot. Don't know why it needs wings in space, though. Yeah. Well, actually, the design of... Let me see. Do I have this in the... No, it wasn't... I didn't put it in the trivia to speak, but uh, they actually designed it for uh, being a Romulan ship because Romulans, their culture is... uh, They don't look bird-like, but they... Almost like Egyptian, in a sense, I guess. Maybe they have have bird-type stuff in their architecture, Mm. reminiscent. So that's why you see, like, the wing pattern, Mm -hmm. the feather kind of pattern on the wings of the bird of prey and everything. So they originally Romulans were going to be the enemies of in this movie, but then they decided no. The, everybody knows the Klingons. We got to bring the Klingons back. So that's kind of the evolution of the how the Klingon bird of prey looks uh, modernly in the modern movies. Uh, and like I said, my second favorite ship. Like you know, if they said you can have any spaceship you want except the Millennium Falcon, I said give me a bird of prey. Hmm. I'll go. I didn't know, know that. I'd cloak it and because they do have a hero click of it. Yeah, I have one. Oh, oh, okay, no. he did. Uh, no, yeah, I do. Uh, your wife gave it to me because she had duplicates yeah. of it. Yeah. Actually, I have that one. one. It's just too weird to play because it has, like, <laughs> shitty stats. Yes, it does. When, you know, Black Canary can beat a bird of prey. Because they're not meant to be played with the right, I know. With the heroes. Unfortunately, I wish it had, like, a 20 defense and indomitable. Yeah, it's awesome. Which is hero clicks talk for everybody out there. But oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure if, I'm sure there's people out there that are listening that do both. <laughs> but uh, uh, as far as my opinion on the movie, when I was a kid, I liked this a lot more. Mainly because this was the first one that I had recorded off a of television, so I had I watched it a lot. Uh, I, I saw three before I saw one or two. Uh, again, because back in the day, kids, you couldn't go to Netflix or the internet and type a few buttons and watch and see anything that you ever wanted to see in your entire life. Uh, not every video store had copies of the Star Trek movies, or they weren't even out on VHS. Uh, but I had part three to search for Spock and watched it a ton. Loved it as a kid. Uh, and of course, you know, one of the, the, the true purpose of this podcast is to revisit these movies and see them with a pair of fresh eyes, in your case, Daniel. But also, you know, more so in my case, it's how they, well, they hold, well, or well, not well, they uh, hold up. And this one, to me, just doesn't, uh, being older and the, the story of it, it's, to me, this entire movie is like, okay, Spock died last time. That was really great. It was a great ending. Uh, we got to bring him back. To this entire movie has a good way to bring him back. is a roundabout way of bringing Spock back. Uh, Kirk, you shouldn't have shot him out of that torpedo. You need to go get him off the planet that's self-destructing and bring him to Vulcan where we can fix him. Didn't you know this? And like, it's all done matter-of-factly. Like when Sarek goes to talk to him in the room, he's like, "Kirk, duh! Didn't you know to do this?" And he's like, "Oh shit! You know, guess I got to better better go steal my ship." You know, and he, Captain, you know, okay, Captain Kirk can't get authorization to go to this place after he just saved the world, after he Admiral. saved the universe. Wait, Admiral at that even, time. Even yeah. Ex- yeah. Sorry, uh, Trekkies. 
Uh, I didn't mean to misspeak. He was an admiral at the time mm. uh, and everything. But yeah, as a kid, I really love this movie. Uh, and uh, as far as the Star Trek movies go, this one and four, uh, three and four are to me are the worst of them all. Uh, some people, a lot of people disagree. A lot. Some people consider four to be the best next to uh, Wrath of Khan. Uh, to me, again, I've, I've mentioned on the podcast before, I hate cop-outs. This movie's a cop-out to bring Spock back. Four yeah. is a cop-out to bring the, the crew of the Enterprise to modern-day Earth. Mm-hmm. Because there's this probe crashing that's causing everything to be destroyed, and it can only be communicated with humpback whales. That sounds something out of motherfucking Doctor Who or something. That is so <laughs> ridiculous. But it works in Doctor Who because Uh-oh. the universe oh, okay. is that ridiculous. You're going to upset I, some Whovians. Yeah. I mean, I like Doctor Who. I'm not a I'm not a Hoovian, but I like it. But I mean, they, Are they called Hoovians? Yeah, something okay. like that. Just making sure. Uh, uh, I wasn't mixing it with yeah. uh, Doctor Seuss. Whovians. <laughs> Seuss. <Who-bills. laughs> the Who's. Well, if you like both, you're a Hoovian. <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, Star Trek. Hoovians. You know, I mean, it has some it has some crazy things Hoosians. that happen into it. But as far as a movie Hoosiers. goes, are you still on this? <laughs> Tangent time. Yep. That's one of the things that bug you know, you have Trekkies, you have Hoovians, you have uh, the brown coats if you like Seren- uh Firefly. Star Wars doesn't have like a, a fan name. You're just a Star Wars fan. There's no like pop culture reference for a Star Wars fan. Are you huh. are we all just Jedi, you know? I'm point. not a Jedi, I'm a Sith. Je- yeah. You know, I mean you start to divide them. Yeah, I mean there's no <laughs> don't want to do that. There's no at least in my overall geek knowledge, there's not a term oh, oh, I guess, because, and I'm not saying this in a disrespectful way to anything that has its own geek, like Trekkie or Hoovian or anything. Is it maybe it's just because it's so much into culture that it it doesn't matter? Sort of like Lord of the Rings. You're not called hobbits because you like Lord of the Rings. You know, it's just kind of an accepted. You know, I guess just maybe because of the level of maturity, maybe, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but or seriousness, I should say, in tone, that maybe they're just accepted more into culture to where there's not a need to separate it. There we go. Chud.com. What are Star Wars fans called? Well, let's see. Um, um, Warkies. Warkies. Do you accept I'm that? I'm sure it's Star Walds. No joke. Star Woids. Woids. My no, vision. Star Woids? I've never heard of that in my life. Yeah. So if you know, send War us an email. 80srevisited at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Warkies. Uh, I always thought that was kind of odd. There's no like term. Star Warriors. Warsies, maybe? They all sound these? stupid. Yeah, they yeah. do. Brown coats. <laughs> no, that's taken. But yeah, that's so far off from the name. Yeah. Yeah. So what? What's some? once an element in uh, Star Wars that could be taken? Bounty yes. hunters. Yeah. <laughs> everybody likes scoundrels. Scoundrels. Solos. Wookies. Everybody's a Wookie. Everybody's Wookie. Because they're hairy and alone. I would think <laughs> I if know. they did Jabba's. do anything off, it would be the. Something to do with force, which is, I mean, um, you'd assume Jedi, but then you have no. Yeah. I don't. Li- I don't. I res- the Jedi's are the villains in Star Wars. Mm. I respect the cis way of life, <laughs> and you have people that truly believe that, like that the Jedi Barack are Barack Obama. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, well, if you remember in Not Revenge kidding. of the Sith, they were comparing Anakin and the Empire to George W. Bush, oh, and geez. you know, who's and that's the Sith. So if you're a Jedi, you're like a Democrat and a liberal, oh, okay. and you don't subscribe to any of that. Nerf so, herders. I'll take that. There yeah, you go. Nerf herders. I'll be a nerf herder. <laughs> I'm a nerf. I'm also a nerf hoarder because I have a whole bunch of nerf weapons that we only got to use once. Oh yeah. We had a 
for feeling everybody in that doesn't know us personally, which is probably 99.9% of you, we had a big ner- Nerf battle in a public place with all of our friends and it was amazingly and epically fun. And we, all, we were all like, oh, we're going to do this again. So I stocked up on a couple of Nerf weapons shortly <laughs> after that. And Amazing. they sit covered in dust, only meant to torture <laughs> my dog <laughs> and occasionally my wife. Well, they scheduled another one and I showed up and no one else was there. It seems like there was something going on that day. It, like, was drizzling slightly. Oh, yeah, something like it's that. Like, and it's Nerf. Come on. Well, Jesse, that would affect the shot trajectory. I uh, use swords anyway. <laughs> True. <laughs> you were a hand-to-hand fighter. <laughs> yeah, so Nerf, we'll call it Nerf Herder. So yeah. Yeah. as far as 80s Revisit is concerned, if you like Star Wars, you're a Nerf Herder. Proudly wear that badge on your sleeve right above your Trekkie badge, yeah. which is slightly above your Hoovian badge. Just saying, guys. There you go. But, uh... Yeah, uh, this movie was really awesome when I was a kid, but I think this one's just an entire excuse. The whole movie's an excuse about resurrecting Spock Force in the most tears. roundabout way. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Force <laughs> I like that one. Uh, Somebody okay. should copyright that. Copyright 2013 Trey Harris. The Foreskins. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's what Trekkies call it. Foreskins. Foreskins. <laughs> Oh, that's genius. Uh, I like that right. one, too. So many good ones now. It's yep. hard to pick which one. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But, uh, yeah. So I had this movie a if, lot. If I watched were, it a lot. If you Go ahead. What if you had a circumcision of the Star Wars game? <laughs> the, uh... Would it just take your memory off of the Star Wars? <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> I was trying to think of something funny, force related, to go with that, but I don't. I can't think of something that quick. No. Send right. us your letters. If you have okay. a bald Wookie, <laughs> if your if your Wookie gets shaved, you're not a foreskins anymore. Foreskins. All right, that's pretty funny. I like that. So hopefully, if you take away anything from this episode, Force. it's what Star Wars fans are called. Hashtag us foreskins. Force. <laughs> Force space skins. That is that is pretty good. Podcasts. Though. Podcasts. Yeah. We should totally make that a podcast. We just talk about Star Force Wars skins. and related to jeez. Uh, the foreskins. Tra- <laughs> training sex, sex education through the ways of Star Wars. <laughs> through the Star Wars analogies. <laughs> oh, oh man, wow. But uh, to the audience who doesn't need to worry about sex ed. <laughs> For those of you still listening, Trekkie's still listening. That turned it off when we got on the Star Wars topic. Yeah, good point. I apologize, but uh, yeah, uh, I don't like this movie. Uh, I like certain things about it. Uh, you haven't done that yet. I like I like There's the bird of prey else. in it. Uh, I like Sulu in it, where he beats the crap out of that big tall dude, and he's like, "Don't call me tiny." Which could be mm. <laughs> what was he talking about? But uh, Ooh, the whole uh, the whole again the whole plot of this one is just really it's not good. Like and then oh and then everybody's smiling laughing because Sm- Spock I almost called him I called him Smock <laughs> again. Well he was wearing a kind of a smock in that yeah, scene at the true. end. Uh, we're like everybody just oh he's back but he doesn't remember us. It was it was sort of it was as cheap as in Star Trek Nemesis where Data dies. I know you ain't seen it. You shrug your shoulders. I mean, you're a robot. Yeah, but oh, they have an oh. We, but died. guess what? They found another body of data who kind of the robot mind meld beforehand. So he's still kind of data, but the original data is dead. But this one's just like him. It's like if your iPhone he just doesn't. Dies. Re- yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You just plug it back in, and they restore it. But it's restored at a later date. So data didn't remember what happened in the past five minutes, right. but he's still data. 
You know, it's cheap. Imagine if he did re- remember it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm stuck. I remember every moment of myself exploding. <laughs> Ridiculous. I mean, and uh, you know, there's always that thing in show, in movie, especially in sci-fi, which includes comic books. Dead does not mean dead. It means you're going to, you know, wait for the next one, which is sad because, like, it, it cheapens the end of part two where Spock dies. Again, like I said last week, that's a great moment. Like, you know, it was really good. And it was handled really well. And now it's like, oh... Everybody likes Spock. We got to bring him back. Uh, okay, here's this outlandish plot where they uh, they steal the Enterprise and take it to this forbidden planet. And oh, Klingon shows up. We have to have some sort of reason why he just can't go pick up the coffin and bring it back to Vulcan. Hmm. So it's just like a big roundabout way to bring him back. And then the next one jumps the shark, even though it's a whale in the movie. Even more with the whole only humpback whales can save humanity with their calls. And you mean to tell me in the Star Trek universe they have all these things that they can figure out in five seconds? Like, Jim, I, I believe that uh, when we needed to do this, they just used this protomatter to, with the flux capacitor in the warp drive, and it fixed everything. My God, Scotty, you're right. And that's how they get out of everything, by thinking of something in the last five minutes of the movie or the episode. And I'm sure Trekkies can agree. Like, I mean, the solutions to some of these episodes are solved instantly because, oh, yeah, well, let's use the replicator to make this. And these are the sounds of the majestic humpback whale that in the far future will save us all because apparently there are no recordings of humpback whales in this vast <laughs> database where they can just hit the play button and this strange probe apparently from the planet where the whales come from originally and they're vengeful to destroy humanity to doom us all. You know, but the playoff is, oh, we can't just play whale sounds because you see the wh- it's actually communicating with the whales and the whales have to tell them to go away. Fuck that. The whales, the are, whales be- are evil. Exactly. <laughs> we rescued the wrong two fucking whales from the past. They're like, no, wipe these fuckers Nazi out. Nazi Because these whales come from the past. I know that they don't exist in this present time. Yeah, so, that's true. We got to save everybody. These people killed us. Fuck these dudes. Kill yeah. them all. <laughs> that's why four, the voyage home. Yeah, Spock flips the bird. Big fucking whoop. Nobody cares. It's stupid. Part four is stupid. As bad as this one is... I mean, this one isn't bad. It's just unnecessary. Four is bad. Bad, bad, bad. And people diss on five. We're going to look for God. Okay, that's at least something you can relate to a philosophical viewpoint as opposed to, oh, we need some whales in the future. Let's slingshot around the sun in a bird of prey, come back to modern-day San Francisco, and then, oh, wait, in typical fashion, when they go around... Uh, you know, when anything futuristic comes back, much like in Masters of the Universe, oh shit, we can't go back. This thing from the future that got us here is broke. We gotta fix it. Okay, uh, Sulu and I don't know who else went in part four. Y'all go steal this nuclear thing for us. Is that us. how they went back in time? Slingshotting around the sun? Well, they did that in the original series somehow. Like, they figured it out. They, that's like, all it takes? Yeah. That's all you gotta do. You gotta get in a ship that can accelerate you around the sun. slingshot around something. And it something. slings you sh- back in time. So, like, someone could recut, like, Apollo 13 where they slingshot around the moon yeah. and they go back in time. Armageddon. Yeah. Armageddon. They slingshot. Yeah. <laughs> Any movie where they slingshot something. That, well, that's the time travel excuse in Star Trek, which I think the only time they didn't use a slingshot, they used it several times, it seems like. But, uh, and then in First Contact, the Borg did a temp- actually had a time travel thing and they went through the, the same hole before it closed. Right. You know who wrote the screenplay to Armageddon? No. Do you? I'm pretty sure it's J.J. Abrams. Really? <laughs> Look that shit up. Yeah. I mean, you can't all... Everything you write can't be, you know, pristine. <laughs> but I'm glad that he's improved. 
I think he wrote he wrote the screenplay. Writers, did something. writers, he's involved. Screenplay. Yeah. Well, that's screenplay, not necessarily the story. Hensley. Wow, he looks like Look he walked out of Deadwood or something, <laughs> or the Civil War, I should say. All right, so he wrote the Punisher. Uh, he wrote the Saint. Ah, uh, Jumanji. Oh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Then you'll like what my Back to the Future segment's about. <laughs> uh, that's funny. But again, like you can't, I can't hold somebody responsible for they're writing a screenplay because a lot Four of times they, they'll, 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 they might have got passed to them to work on it. I mean, it's, it's the story that's obnoxious in Armageddon. Don't train astronauts to drill. Train drillers to be astronauts because that's way easier to learn than how to operate a drill. <laughs> you don't need to go to school for, you know... 12 fucking years to be an astro- uh, to be an oil driller. It's like 14 or 15 years because, you know, you take a lifetime to be an astronaut. You you need more than a lifetime to be an oil driller. That's sarcasm, folks. Actually, no, that's that's, that's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> So I mean, that Armageddon's just one of those where like we need an excuse to get non-astronaut uh blue-collar people to an asteroid in space. He's gonna if he's gonna use his equipment, he's gonna do it himself. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, and honestly, they they okay. I'm not making light of the Challenger disaster, but they train that teacher pretty damn quick. So I'm actually shooting holes in my own argument here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but my point is, you don't need to bring the entire fucking crew. I'm sure Harry Stamper, aka Bruce Willis, could sit in that because if you watch the movie, it only took one of them to operate the drill. Well, Rockham didn't do crap when he got there. He he just sat on and said, "Hey, I'm sitting on it. It's supposed to be my cock. I'm making jokes." Horny. Yeah. So then they they only needed to send Bruce Willis and maybe Ben Affleck, because at that point in his career, the world was better off with Ben Affleck. But since then, he's done great things, and I like Ben Affleck. I forgive him. Yep. For? Geely. Geely, Armageddon, Money and Jersey Girl, too. Yeah. I didn't watch that either, so. But, yeah. No. Oh, where were we? What were we talking about? Something about space. Oh, oh Star Trek, <laughs> yeah. Probably would let us to that now. <laughs> those damn tangents. Poor Trekkies have been pissed at us on this one. Going to Star Wars, now Armageddon. Yeah. <laughs> that's a real slap in the face when you mention Armageddon and Star Trek in the same podcast episode oh the slingshot thing in the space uh, yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. yeah so that's four I mean and four was I think 89 or 88 so we're not even talking about the one that yeah, this, this episode's labeled we might not do that one so this is <laughs> kind of what would cover in that yeah uh, but I mean it's it's related again my final opinion on this movie is it was unnecessary yeah. like I like Snap. I like Christopher Lloyd as a Klingon I thought he was great like I liked the battle that they had where uh, how he kind of tricked them, and which I don't explain in the movie, but I went and found out the subtext is that when the Enterprise blew up and his crew was on, and Christopher Lloyd's all like, "Oh man, it's not because his crew died; it's because he didn't get to kill Kirk." So he kind of he got in Klingon culture, he got shamed by Kirk, him thinking Kirk killed himself by blowing up his own ship, hmm. uh, which also doesn't make sense. You take this gamble, and this is okay. We're talking about this movie now, so I guess it's good for everybody listening. Kirk. The whole the whole big ploy at the end is he lures the uh, crews, aka Christopher Lloyd, thinks the Enterprise is full of people, hundreds of Starfleet officers. Bird of Prey only has like I think twelve, thirteen people on it, something like that. They say in the movie. So Kirk's like, ah, okay, well they're obviously in a boarding party of you know half the crew. There's some people down on the planet holding his son captive and everything. So uh, we'll just beam out of here and blow up the ship when they get here, which was a great moment when the ship blows up and the dude's like, and the Klingon doesn't know Earth or English. He's like. It's he's talking in Klingon. It's it's saying the same thing. It's repeating something. And, he, and Christopher Lord's like, "Let me hear." And it's like two, one. He's like, "Get out!" 
out. So it's that was a, that was hilarious. It was hilarious, honestly. <laughs> it's because like they don't know English and they're like, it's beeping in front of them. Yeah. But anyway, but okay, my logic is don't beam. They beam to the planet. The entire crew beams to the planet to get away and blow up the Enterprise. Beam to his fucking ship. They beam over here. You beam to the ship. You're on his ship. You're with your weapons drawn. He's not going to expect it. You take over the ship right there, game over. Isn't there some, like, uh, approval process that has to happen? Like, I mean, when you go I'm, into someone's Wi-Fi, you know, you got to put in some kind of I don't of know. Password. I know, like, sometimes when your shield's up, you can't beam or something, so I don't know. But they're yeah. both kind of, both of the ships are kind of dead in space. Like, oh, they're both dead. Because they, they both okay. shoot at each other, and, like, they're both kind of wounded, if I remember correctly. But, the, but Kirk, but the Enterprise is literally dead in the water. Right. But the, Cruz doesn't know that at this point in the movie. That's why Kirk's trying to bluff him, and then Cruz bluff, bluff his, bluff, bluff his, bluffs back to him. But they beam to the planet. That's in the process of exploding. Right. Don't beam to his ship and take it over there. He counts on the fact that Cruz will then beam his people up from the planet as a bargaining chip to come down and get the secret of Genesis. But if he knows that he's beaming you up, he's going to beam you up, and like you're going to be captive already. Mm-hmm. So it's you know and. I'm, I'm, I assume I'm probably missing something to where, oh, they couldn't beam because of this. Okay, fine. I accept that. Blah, blah, blah. That is still the most inconceived plan. Don't beam off your ship. Beam to the planets. But, you know, you're, you bought yourself five minutes. Yeah. And you're counting on your enemy to beam you up. So to me, that was just ludicrous. But, I'm, again, there's probably some reason I don't know. And, Daniel, what did you think about that fight scene between Kirk and... Epic. <laughs> that was sarcasm, right? And who? <laughs> uh, Cruz. All these villains are with a K. Yeah. yeah. The, that, this is what happened after Back to the Future 3. He went so far back, <laughs> he became a Klingon. I don't know. There's some hardcore stunts involved. I mean, I, it, the rock that comes up and knocks him off. And then mm. when, when Kirk does that dive on him from like four feet, <laughs> and he's, he's he, falling like down <laughs> on him. So, that scream was just ridiculous. <laughs> it yeah. looked like it hurt. Yeah, like that, that dive. Would, yeah, that, like he basically pile drived himself. Yeah. But he just gets up like Lita fine. jumping out of the. Yeah, when she yeah. broke her back. <laughs> and that most anticlimactic ending ever to where he just kind of knocks Cruz onto that ledge. And it isn't even breaking <laughs> yet. The earth's just shaking. Whoa. And he sits there for like five minutes, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then it finally breaks off and he falls. And then he and he's like, then Kirk speaks Klingon in the communicator to beam him and Spock up. It's wow. just, yet the Klingons beam him up, beam him up. Why would we, wait, that's not correct, Klingon. That's obviously not our commander. Why they? Why would they even beam him up? In the end, so there's just some ludicrous things that happen that are ridiculous. I do have some observations about this movie. I didn't get to mention mine for part two, but I do have a couple about three. And okay. I know you haven't. One sec. Hang on. Just do you say you have a couple observations? Yeah, start yeah, with that again. Much, I'm just going to go ahead with that. All right, go. Okay, now before we move on, to uh, the few pieces of trivia that are worth mentioning about this uh, unclassic Star Trek movie, in my opinion, everybody. Uh, some observations I had about this movie. I had some for part two, but I forgot to mention them, but that's in the past, unfortunately. Mm. But let's talk about this movie. First of all, did you notice what Chekhov was wearing? That, like, pink what was he wearing? Dutch boy. It was, he looked mm. like... Remember that commercial for Skittles where it's like... Or Starburst was like, berries and cream, berries and cream. Oh, God. Like he was, Chekhov was wearing that, but like pink. So I was under the impression that Takei dressed them for the movie because he looked ridiculous. He had on like, there you go, there's a, a starburst, yeah. He's wearing basically oh, that, oh, but okay. pink. <laughs> so it was, wow. it was ridiculous. It was nice to know too that after all these years, 
of starship making, they finally added the little swivel seat belts to the Excelsior. <laughs> Did you notice that when the cap? It was so casually he sits down and he takes the armrest and folds them over him, so he's buckled up basically. <laughs> and then when the machine, the hyper, the engine fails, he like opens them up and they all buckle up to prepare for hyperdrive. <laughs> but no other ship, even at, even. 70, 80 years after this, in the next generation, did they incorporate these seatbelts? <laughs> Yet in every movie, the second a torpedo hits them, no matter they go anywhere they go flying in any direction, <laughs> they never make them. Only the Excelsior had seatbelts. And uh, <laughs> here's the this, this part disturbed me in this movie. Now, as Spock was aging with the planet, he was going through the Ponfar, which mm-hmm. is basically Vulcan puberty, but they get exceptionally violent. So did you notice the part where Savick basically has sex with him with her fingers? Yeah. Okay. Now this, now this is <laughs> Andrea a, was kind of she has sex with a kid. Yeah. This is Jeffrey Jones caliber. Yeah. This is wow. pedophilia in the future. <laughs> but I and I mean it was the most. I mean Vulcan sex is fucking weird, man. They like do like Mr. Miyagi type things, and then they take two fingers and they each take turns rubbing their their fingers over each other, and it calms them down. They don't hmm. say it in the movie, but she basically says. He's having the pond far. He's yeah. going to go crazy and kill everybody. I need to help him. Yeah. Now, they don't say in the movie that the pond far is his, him going through puberty and his hormones are raging and he will, like, <laughs> attack you. So they basically, they just don't say it. But if you right. know what pond far is, which I do, and now you do because I've told you. No, Andrea told me. Wow. Mm. That's awesome, though. Uh, <laughs> so that she picked up that basically Savick is raping a child in this movie. <laughs> Pretty much. So that... So... Explain that, Trekkies. <laughs> now, I know there's incest in Star Wars, but it was they didn't know it at the time. So, Mm-mm-mm. I mean, you know, if I had sex with Kate Beckinsale, I know she was my sister. You, you I still fucking again. had sex with Kate Beckinsale. <laughs> you do it again. <laughs> Would she know? <laughs> Get one more in before she finds out. <laughs> That's so evil. Yeah, <laughs> but Kate Beckinsale, I don't care. <laughs> there are certain things what you do in Kate Beckinsale stays in Kate Beckinsale this is definitely a, a explicit <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. this one's bad uh, a few pieces of trivia to move this on really quick uh, the villains in the film were originally tended to be Romulans uh, which honestly uh, again I watched Star Trek but I swear to God like Vulcans and Romulans look exactly the same to me uh, Eric Bana in the, in the reboot was a Romulan they had the same pointy ears I don't know, it's just the shape of their head that's slightly different. Because, I mean, honestly, in Star Wars, you have completely non human aliens. In Star Trek, every alien, with the exception of, like, I mean, some of them in the old series and all that, but I mean, the Borg, they're human. Uh, the Gorn is human. Um, a guy in a suit, but I mean, humanoid. There's not really that many truly alien looking things. All the alien species, you know, Klingons, they're humans with, you know, a spine on their forehead. Uh, Vulcans have pointy ears and always have sarcastic raised eyebrows. Always giving the people's eyebrow all the time. <laughs> Vulcan's kind of like an elf. Yeah, and it's, yeah. I mean, you know, and they of course their cultures are different, which is I guess more so what they're going with. And of course, again, remember, I'm making fun, but again, I understand Star Trek was made in the '60s. You know, they didn't have all these advancements in makeup to make a whole bunch of different things that didn't look ridiculous. But you know, I, I like if they, if they were Romulans in this one, I would I'd be like, why are the my first thought would be why are the Vulcans attacking? the Federation so maybe but uh anyway as I was saying I guess I just sum it up uh but they switched they switched to the Klingons from Romulans because they were better known enemies and also because they didn't look like fucking Vulcans 
that's my point I was trying to make in a terribly roundabout way, kind of like a roundabout way that this entire movie was. Uh, but the Romulan ship was already pretty much built, and they didn't want the expense of replacing it, because remember, when you make a Star Trek movie, you do it on a cheap budget, at least back then. Uh, since the original Star Trek series already had established that Klingons and Romulans had shared technologies and ships in the past, uh, for the exactly exact same real-world cost-saving reasons, the idea of Klingons using a Romulan-style vessel was not a problem in Star Trek canon. So, there you go. There you go. But they still call them Klingon birds of prey. So I guess they were modified from, still modified from the design, perhaps with a cloaking device or whatnot. And this is pretty awesome. And then it's awesome at first, but then it gets kind of, what an asshole. Uh, production was endangered by a huge fire at Paramount. Uh, this was 1984. When was Back to the Future? 85, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Because remember we mentioned uh, that same fire that destroyed some of the sets. Uh, so it was probably the same fire yeah, that was mentioned here. Uh, they call it the Great Fire at Paramount. Uh, Shatner actually helped fight the fire, and he actually rescued a crew member before firefighter reinforcements arrived. I like how that was. I copied this directly from IMDb. So I like how they say William Shatner had firefighter reinforcements, not the not the real firefighters arrived. <laughs> Here's your reinforcements, Captain. <laughs> so then, anyway, uh, Shatner said that his motivation for okay, like that's awesome. He saved a dude's life, but then he says his motivation for doing so was purely to save a day on the shooting schedule because he had a deadline to be available for shooting the new season of T.J. Hooker. Hmm. So he's basically like, not like, oh shit, I, done. I, need not, I need to save this guy. I need to save this guy or I'm going to like miss my shooting date and miss my big T.J. Hooker check. So to speak. So, whatever. <laughs> and uh, this, uh, since this movie, several... Episode, television episodes and movies have been directed by Star Trek alumni as in cast members but however this being directed by Leonard Nimoy was the first uh, you course, think John, that was the deal he had to strike to come back he's like I'll only come back if you put my you know if I direct it well from from what I read I didn't put this in the trivia because uh, I don't think it would come up but I'm glad you brought it up uh, <laughs> but Nicholas Meyer the director of two wanted to do this one but then some they actually when they realized that Spock was coming back, then he, he kind of like bowed out of it. And they asked somebody else, hmm. uh, I hate to say the term no name, but somebody that's not, I can name off the top of my head that's not sure. reputable. But then Nimoy said like, hey, I'd actually like to direct it. So they thought, oh, sure. You know, Leonard Nimoy, the uh. connection there with the series and everything. And honestly, this movie was directed piss poor. Like, yeah. uh, I mean, there are certain shots that are, I mean, certain things that are great. Like when the Enterprise is going down, and keep in mind, too, when the Enterprise blows up in this movie, this is the or- original ship from the TV show. Like, the, this is the original Enterprise. Of course, in the sequels, they have, they use the Bird of Prey in f- 4. In 5 and 6, they get, you know, the Enterprise B, I think, or Trekkies know what I'm talking about. But this is like, you know, this is the ship. This is the original Enterprise that gets blown up in this movie, which is why you have that great, you know, the end of Part 2 is great when Spock dies. But in this one, you know, the ship, which is as legendary as the cast itself is dying the original Enterprise and that's why he's like Bones what have I done and he's like what you had to do Jim to save you know you saved us all gave us a chance I can't remember his quote Uh, so that's definitely worth noting that there is a notable death in this movie aside from Kirk's son which he took that pretty well like he got over that really quickly however Spock's death took him you know it was so traumatic, he had to bury him instantly, and then he dealt with it for the entire beginning of this movie. Like, oh, I can't get Spock out of my head. Oh, Spock, I'm seeing your ghost. Spock, is that you? Having hallucinations, and not hallucinations, but hearing his voice and all this stuff, and he can't get over it. He can't let it go. Then his son dies, and he kind of stumbles a bit, turns around, 
repeats himself three times that you killed my son, you killed my son, you killed my son. And then he's kind of over it, pretty much. Until I think... Hardcore. Until part six, where he's like, I've never forgiven them for killing my son. Well, that's kind of hypocritical, because it really didn't kind of phase you. (laughs) He he, he, He denotes about five seconds of acting to it, and then it's... It's inconsequential, which I found a little odd. Uh, but um, in the opening credits, this was pretty cool, I thought. I didn't notice this, but it's there. Uh, there's an extra long pause between William Shatner's name and then DeForest Kelly's names because that's where Leonard Nimoy's name usually appeared. Mm-hmm. But Spock's, you know, quote-unquote not in it, so the, his name wasn't there. So, But they left it blank. So, mm-hmm. And that's about it for this movie as far as I'm concerned but there is a body count you care to guess it's higher than Khan oh (laughs) it's higher than 14 estimated Uh, 20 25 Mm. plus the Enterprise herself so 26 maybe maybe she'll count as 2 27 27. (laughs) because it's a big ship it's a big Uh, dog (laughs) that was kind of like the good moment like the I, I mean it's almost uh, despite this, this, that this movie is meant to bring Spock back, that was like to me like the big moment of this movie, where you know the ship herself dies. Sort of like in Back to the Future Three, where the time machine finally gets destroyed. You know, it's sad. It's a character in itself. Uh, it, when the Millennium Falcon is flying through the Death Star and Return of the Jedi, and the radar dome gets knocked off, you know, you, like in Han, they had that foreshadowing earlier. He's like, "Take good care of her." And he's like, "I think it's the last time I'm ever going to see her again." You know, so it's the, the vehicle is as much a character as any of the the people, the living things. So to me, that was a really poignant moment in this film, and you know, that was probably the best shot of the movie. Going back to the directing, I mean, it was very. This movie was very simple. It was actually it was soap opera-ish in its direction, uh, and that's not saying Nimoy's a bad director. I mean, this was his first thing he ever directed, but it was it wasn't like Khan or any of the subsequent movies where. Uh, I think he directed four too, which four sucked. He directed the two my two worst Star Trek movies to me, three and four. Mm. Shatner directed five, uh, and of course Jonathan Frakes I believe directed uh, two or three of the Next Generation movies uh, as well. And he, I, I really like him as a director. Like he, like First Contact is a phenomenally well done, well produced, well directed, well acted uh, movie. Uh, but this movie is like Nimoy. I'm sure has done better since Three Men and a Baby was good. Body Wars, what I remember watching it was pretty cool as a kid, but again, that's as a kid. Anyway, this was released again Kids June 1st, 1984. Daniel, you were what? Mm. Four days old. Wow. So <laughs> you saw us in the theater then. I'm sure you were. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good. What did you think about it up on? Yeah, I, I, have to... I didn't understand what they were saying, but the colors yeah. were pretty. <laughs> but uh, in the real world, now, again, this was June 1st, 1984. Uh, there was a couple things that happened, but I wanted to touch on this just to, to kind of date this movie and current recent events. Uh, on June 28th, Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, serial killer, uh, murders his first confirmed victim of 13. And the reason this is significant as, as of recording of this podcast, we're recording it on June 11th. And over the weekend, on June 7th, Richard Ramirez actually died in prison of liver failure, which was a fate far too kind for someone as heinous as him. It and, failed because uh, it, it was stabbed. I'm sure. I hope. <laughs> I wish that was the case, like they did with Dahmer, uh, which he had a mop handle up an orifice to kill mm. him, uh, which that served him right. But uh, the odd thing about this, when he died, I immediately went. To, anytime anybody dies, I'll, I'll go look at Wikipedia, 
because usually, A, there's two things that are going to happen. Somebody's going to edit it in favor of the person or like or make or say something rude. And when I went to Richard Ramirez's page on Wikipedia the day that he died, like right after I heard the news, because I want to see what people were like. Well, first of all, find out the cause and see if anybody did anything. All his entire Wikipedia page for the entire length of it, somebody just put repeated over and over his quote when he was sentenced, which was something like, "I'm a child of Satan. You're all gonna burn," something like that. That's right. over and over and over. Like, oh, like so some fr- you know, some supporter of his went to Wikipedia. And put that over and over. And the crazy thing about him, too, aside from the fact that he was literally a, a crazy fucking guy and killed a whole bunch of people, uh, was that he actually had a prison wife or a pen pal wife. And she said that whenever he died, she was going to kill herself. And I haven't heard anything of that coming true. But, uh, mm. yeah, but just to, to date, you know, this, uh, the same month that Star Trek Three came out <laughs> is when Ramirez killed his first victim. And Coincidence? Hmm. <laughs> maybe he didn't like. Maybe he didn't like this like we did, and that's what set him off. But he was completely and mentally insane. But that just to give to tie it into current events and yeah. the movie itself, as we like to do on the podcast. So, but uh, score wise, what would you give this one, Daniel? About a five. I'm right there with. It. I'd give it a six. Like I, uh, I don't hate it. I don't like it. Yeah. It's. Uh, Again, it's not my least favorite Star Trek movie, but it's it's the second to least <laughs> of the original crew movies. Uh, four would be right there with it, uh, under it, I should say, as my least favorite of them all. But uh, effects-wise, none of these movies hold up whatsoever. But again, touching on what we said last episode, it's, these movies are hold up in, in, in regards to their story, which this one, the story is stupid, uh, as is the next one, but you know if you like if you it, it brings Spock back and you know I hate the way they did it I hate the fact that they did it but you know he's there for five and six so I guess I can forgive him for it so that's why it'll last I guess and Christopher Lloyd's a great Klingon like a lot, Christopher Lloyd's a good villain period mm-hmm. Judge Doom and Cruising this like it's a shame he didn't have more villainous roles he's a villain in Buckaroo Banzai uh, which we'll probably get to on the podcast as well. But uh, you want to do Back to the Future or your Sports Rewind? You're going to do Sports Rewind. It's a pretty short one. <coughs> sports Rewind. Uh, back in June 1st, which is the day it came out, but this is back in 1975, mm-hmm. the uh, Los Angeles Angels or Anaheim Angels, whatever, at the time, Nolan Ryan hmm. got his 100th win and is his fourth no-hitter to tie Sandy Koufax for, the, I guess, the record or something. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Nolan Ryan's one of the best pitchers ever. The greatest pitcher ever. Ended up with, what, nine no-hitters, if I remember correctly? Seven. Oh. Actually has his jersey retired by three different teams. Astros, Rangers, Angels? Yep. I know. 80s baseball. <laughs> Apparently. I went to school that's with when a guy. I had, that's when I had the baseball cards. I went yeah. to school with a guy named Ryan Nolan. Oh, I bet he's hated himself. Like at least in the phone book, I'm called Nolan Ryan. Yeah. He's a uh, eight-time All-Star World Series champion in '69. Mm-hmm. Numbers retired by three different teams. Is that a record or anything? Like, I mean, I'm not that sure seems... on that. Hit one of his or two of his major league records. It's, he's seven career no hitters, which mm-hmm. is a record, and 5,714 career strikeouts, wow. which is ridiculous. Basically, means you play a lot or you have. 
pitched a lot. Yeah, and he was like at a time one of the fastest pitchers, if not the fastest, I believe, in the league. And that kind of tells you how long he played. His major league debut was September 11th, 1966. His last, <laughs> his Did last major really league. Hit those towers. <laughs> Where was Nolan Ryan? <laughs> he threw those plays. He threw, the, he threw them. It's ten years, people. We can poke fun at it. Right. His last appearance was September 22nd, 1993. So he was in the league a long time. I actually had a T-shirt that had like the newspaper cover of, I think it was when he was playing for the Rangers at the time, where the the T-shirt was just a cover of the paper where he had pitched, I think, his sixth or seventh. Yeah. Because, well, yes, at one point I liked baseball. (laughs) since I, But, again, I never had to play in a full nine-inning baseball game. Uh, Little League was always, you know, like five, four. Or I think you, we just played for an hour and they called the game. So, yeah. Well, anyway, any thoughts on that? I mean, do you he, think there'll ever be a? Do you think that like the legacy of Nolan Ryan? I would consider him. Of course, I don't know modern pitchers, but I've never heard of anybody with that kind of clout like Nolan Ryan had. Do you think like? I mean, to me, he's the greatest pitcher of all time because of my limited baseball knowledge and when I was growing up, like well, I've always, his, a lot of people would say his win loss record isn't necessarily the best. I mean, he's three twenty four and two ninety two. It's not. That's you know kind of close to five hundred. It's <laughs> better than mine. <laughs> well, see, I mean, I think got a pretty it, good ERA for his whole career. It's three point one nine, which that's pretty damn. To me, good. a pitcher though shouldn't be held accountable necessarily, like fully Wins. for that because he could have pitched, you know, all strikes out. One dude hits one homer, and then his team doesn't hit anything. Yeah, you right. know, I mean, it's it's not like he can affect his offense, so to speak. I mean, he's only on defense. You know, I, I think it'd be more interesting to see his average, like their average loss spread. Like, you know, did they lose by one point, by two? You know, if, you know, if it was big, then I would say, okay, yeah, that that's kind of your fault. If you're losing by five or six runs, like, yeah, then you could have done better. I mean, that that's not just your batting team. That's what well, could be. Maybe they just totally suck. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, inducted to the Hall of Fame in 1999, a first year ballot guy. Oh, like the first, Matt, the first year he was on the ballot yeah, for something like that. Didn't happen that. Awful much. 98.79% of them voted on men. Hell yeah. He, I mean, he deserves it, like I said. When I was into baseball back in the day, like, every, you know, you knew who Nolan Ryan was, like, and he was still pitching and playing at the time. I had several of his cards. You got that thing in your hand again. Oh, uh, nervous. Nervous. Same with tick. Velcro. Yeah. Some people like bubble wrap, but I. I, uh, I don't always play with bubble wrap, but when I do, <laughs> it's Velcro instead. It's Velcro. Something, I don't know. Almost. But anyway, that was Sports Rewind. And uh, back to the future real quick uh, to tie in two things. First of all, what you mentioned about Die Hard with a Vengeance, I'm going to talk about A Good Day to Die Hard because it just came out on Blu-ray and I watched it. And I did talk. we talked about it on one segment of the podcast about you know our, like, how I wanted to see it around Valentine's. It came on Valentine's Day, blah, blah, blah. Earlier episode anyway. So I figured we'd come full circle. Uh, a, a Good Day to Die Hard was an amazing action movie. Really? It was one of the... It, Okay. What do you think of four? Which uh, I liked four too. Really? Uh, I thought it was forgettable. Live for die hard. Yeah. To me, it was well. It was. It had been so long, and that was kind of like shortly after Rambo came out. You know, I thought it was a good uh, way to bring back the character. Okay. Like in modern times, uh, uh, I don't want to get confused. A good day to die hard. Let me like okay, yeah, like this. When I first saw The Rock, the Michael, Michael Bay directed Rock, I was like, this dude is a like wow this is action like this is a great action movie this is how I like action movies to look like this is phenomenal yeah, director. he's a great action director he has since fallen off that high horse I put him on sure. originally because I mean The Rock is still a fantastically directed and mm. 
awesome, awesome action movie. Very rewatchable. I mean, Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery. That's mm-hmm. and that movie's like okay. I like, we talked about how Con Air is like so quotable and great. The Rock is just as good. Like mm-hmm. he's not, he, but that, he's not full on Nick Cage in that movie. And the bad the guy's not completely crazy. Yeah, Ed yeah. Har- I mean, Ed, and the villain is Ed Harris, Sean Connery, and Nicolas Cage versus Ed Harris. Even the villain, he has you know. Yeah, he's the right. Humanity. In yeah, yeah, I mean, he's it's great. It's such a good movie. But anyway, like that's how I felt. I felt the same way after watching The Rock as I did when I watched this movie. Hmm. The direct. I don't. I don't have his name. But the guy who directed A Good Day Die Hard, as far at least as this movie goes, this is the best directed modern action movie in a long time. John Moore. John Moore. What else did he... Oh, he's from Ireland? Yep. Oh, no, no, okay, no wonder. Okay, he did Max Payne, which was terrible. But Behind Enemy Lines with Owen Wilson and Gene Hackman, that movie was phenomenal. Hmm. And very well directed, as a matter of fact. I'm, I'm, glad to, I'm glad to know that he did this movie. Apparently some of them didn't agree with you in the uh, ratings. Obviously. If you look, uh, back it up one. Oh. 5.4. I mean, okay, the, the plot is, is over the... Okay, real briefly. Uh, John McClane's son, played by Jai Courtney, who was recently in Jack Reacher, uh, who's actually... I really like the guy. He's, a, he's, kind, he's pretty good. Uh, he's his son, and he's actually a CIA agent, and he's undercover in Russia where he, he goes to jail with this... as all part of a CIA plot. And this is revealed in the first five minutes. It's not a spoiler. Okay. But... McLean doesn't know that, so he goes to kind of like see what he can do to help his son talk to the government. I mean, it's John McLean. Hey, look, I killed all these terrorists. I'm kind of a hero. You know, I mean, obviously after thwarting four separate attempts of, you know, well, one theft uh, and three other global terrorist events single-handedly pretty much, you kind of, you know, you should have some clout. So he's kind of going to be there for his son who he's never been there for. Uh, but then as the plot progresses, he's like, what do you, he sees his son escaping as he's, guys attack the courthouse he's like what are you doing like why are you running with this guy I mean, he, he doesn't know what's going on he's like you, sh- you don't need to run you need to like stay and let's try to figure this out like you know with the authorities because he doesn't know what's going on uh, but he, it's all part of a CIA plan of him trying to get to a safe house and all this stuff and blah 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 so it's it's pretty far fetched why it's set up I mean, mm-hmm. you know, but again okay first of all it says that in the title is the, are the words die hard it's gonna be you know that's that's acceptable for the movie that you're watching. Like when I go see Rambo, it's pu- fully acceptable that he single-handedly kills an army. Right. That's that's the kind of movie we want to see. Uh, that being said, my biggest fear that I talked about on the podcast was that it's going to devolve into one of those like, "I'm your son, I'm your dad, we were never there." They do that, but they do it in such a good way to where it makes sense. And he's like, ah, I'm, "You know, it's it doesn't take away from it. They don't stop to have a moment where." soft music plays and they look at each other and like I'm sorry I wasn't there for you I know dad yeah it, it's all handled through the sto- as the story and it's progressing because they kind of realize they're he realizes you know his son's just like him like in his and like in how he he's doing stuff for the right reason and he realizes he's how much he's like his dad so it's done more so through what's happening and again there's a few moments where he's like where it doesn't it never stops to take it never breaks character with what they're doing like there's one, like they're about to go. I mean, they only touch on in they touch on a. It's all brief, like single sentences at the end of an action sequence, and the action sequences are phenomenal. And there is the sexiest ass woman in this movie too, Daniel. Like in the first five minutes, in the trailer, she's a chick taking off the bike jacket. She's a Russian chick, and the sad thing is, where was this bitch when they were casting the Avengers? That's oh, your motherfucking Black Widow. There's no reason. Like they should fire ScarJo and put this chick as uh, Black Widow. She is, she, she, I mean, she's a great actress. I mean, she's Russian, so she, I mean, there's so much you can cast her in, but she is gorgeous. And, you know, the Black Widow is kind of supposed to be Russian. Yeah. 
Uh, I guess she anyway, spoke English in it. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's like, well, there's a lot of, everybody's speaking Russian because they're in Russia. It takes place in Russia. Right. But I mean, like, but subtitled. She, does, uh, she, does she speak English Like at all? a few things, like, I know why I'm here. I mean, oh, she has okay, the accent, yeah. you know, uh, and everything. But the this, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of car chases when they're done well. Of course, one of the most classic car chases ever is in the French Connection. Uh, and also, in recent memory, probably one of the best car chases was in Ronin with De Niro. Uh, this movie had one of the baddest ass car chases in any movie I've ever seen. I thought Children of Men had an awesome car chase. Yeah, well, I, I think with that's because of the shot. Yeah. I mean, with the the fact that it's the one shot. Yeah. Uh, oh, where where this one is the dynamic of the car chase. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a couple of ridiculous moments, but it was, again, it's very the action is so well directed. I love this John Morgan. Like I said, I saw Behind Me Lines twice in the theater. It's the only movie I like with Owen Wilson in it. And of course, Gene Hackman's in it. Uh, which never hurts anything, uh, but he's John. I really like John Moore. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm surprised that he directed this, but now I, I can see the similarities. He's like he's a good action director. Max Payne, notwithstanding, that movie sucked. Uh, but hey, dude probably needed a paycheck. He's kind of overweight. If you look at his IMDb photo, he, you know, motherfucker, gotta eat. Uh, but I highly recommend this movie. It's probably, honestly, it's probably my second favorite Die Hard, after the first one, naturally. Uh, again, it's it, it's ludicrous in some of the the plot, but like you said, it's 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 a popcorn movie. But where you're watching the movie and not watching the popcorn, like it's, yeah, I, I'm just watching it. Like it's one of those where like I'm watching the sequence. I'm like, holy shit! Like it's a, like the shit and the stuff you're seeing are surprising and uh, like the action and, and, it's, and it's the shots are great. It's directed well, and I want to repeat myself fifty times, but uh, <laughs> uh, the villains in it are good. Like it's well acted. Uh, and like I said, my biggest worry going into it, like I mentioned on the podcast before, this is one of the ludicrous parts in the chase, but it's it's John McClane. you got to give it a pass. He kind of drives in the opposite lane, driving over all these vehicles. In a, uh, I think it's a Chrysler. So a Chrysler is as good as a monster truck. And, and he doesn't <laughs> oh, kill anybody. He doesn't kill... I mean, yeah, I'm sorry, Mercedes. He doesn't kill anybody. He drives over all these cars and doesn't kill anybody. That's actually a shorter version of it. It's much longer. Yeah. Like when he I've drives seen the over clip on uh, like one of the talk shows he was on. Yeah, but uh, if you like Die Hard, if you like action movies, if you like Bruce Willis, rent this movie. At least watch it. It's it's awesome. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Uh, much to my surprise, I really talked about on the podcast. My fear was how it was going to be handled with the father son angle because I hate when they introduce that in movies, like in Superman Returns and mm-hmm. and some other movies. So, but all those fears were not needed. The movie was absolutely awesome. A great action movie. I, like John Moore needs to direct The Expendables. If they they're doing a part three, they need to let him direct it. Hmm. He's a he's very they are doing good. A part three, right? Yeah, yeah. Because they're talking about Jackie Chan. Yeah. Uh, who else? Kurt Russell. I think Kurt Russell, and then Mich- uh, I think Michelle Yeoh, or somebody else. There's like three. There's one chick they were looking for, and then I want to say Chan and somebody else. Mel, oh, Mel- Gibson. <laughs> well, he's already Mel Gibson's already the villain in Machete. Uh, machete kills. Oh, Nicholas Cage is gonna be. Yeah, in. yeah, that's who it yeah. was. So, like, John Moore needs to direct that movie. Like, uh, if anything, watch the movie just for the action sequences. It's it's really really and the look of the film, like the uh, the overall aesthetic. It's almost gears. It's it's more Gears of War than Gears of War, in a sense of the look. It's just got that grit to it. The film does mm. during the action sequence, which adds a lot to it to me. So. Definitely check it out. It's really, really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it and recommend it. Uh, especially, of course, if, you, if you're listening to this, you obviously like 80s movies. This is a modern 80s movie in a big way, except for, you know, digital effects and shit. Hmm. 
just watch a little thing of somebody from their hotel room showing why they're filming on the street below. Pretty cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that pretty much does it for our Star Trek coverage. A couple months late after, or a month or so late after Into Darkness, but nevertheless, uh, we had to try to get some stuff worked out on our guests that didn't fall through. But uh, again, all you Trekkies out there, or Whovians, hit us up. If we got anything right or wrong, you want to congratulate us or hate us for, send us some stuff. In fact, I challenge you to send us an email in Klingon. We will do our best to translate it on air next episode <laughs> and see what we can do. But uh, email 80srevisited at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up on Facebook at Awesome Podcast Network and on Twitter at Awesome Podcasts. And again, don't forget, uh, Geekly Dose is they're doing sporadic episodes when they get their schedules aligned, so always keep abreast for any new episode on that. Should be coming shortly, if not by the time you listen to this. And next week, everybody, uh, we know Superman's been out for about a week now, but we're going to be covering Superman 2. We'll be talking and comparing and contrasting not just the original, but the original with the Donner Cut. And, of course, if you know what I'm talking about when I say the Donner Cut, then you're in for a treat, and you, you're pretty cool because you know that there's not just one version of Superman 2 and all that drama that went on with that movie. Drama. So until next time, everybody, I'm Trey Harris. Daniel Sanangelo. Jesse Sedgley. Muchakuta! That's Calabonga. Oh, it is? No, I'm just thinking. That's <laughs>
this show and more at the awesome podcast network's facebook at facebook.com slash awesome podcast network and follow us on twitter at awesome podcasts